Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe related topics. I'm Frank, and we don't have a Jeff uh, this week because we're doing this from Cher and he's not here. But taking his place is Dan Jast. Yeah, we have a Dan instead of a Jeff this week. Yeah, that, that'll be good, right? Yeah. And our first guest here at Cher is Derek Britton, who is Grand Poobah at Microfocus Cobalt. Certainly, that's what I like to call myself. You're right. <laughs> Grand Poobah. So um, let's start with uh, how uncomfortable I am that you're here, Derek. <laughs> uh, well, tell me about that, Frank. <laughs> well, you have this reputation, not you personally, but Microfocus has a reputation for helping customers get off the mainframe, right? Uh, I've heard that story before, <laughs> yes. So um, we, we're not really in favor of that here at Terminal Talk. We're trying to show people the value of the mainframe. So, you know, why, why should we talk to you? No, good question. And I'm actually very glad you raised the topic. Let's get it out of the way to begin with. Um, as far as we're concerned, and Microfocus, the enterprise server of choice for many of our clients, including some of the world's largest organizations, of course, is the IBM mainframe. So our heritage as a partner of IBM serving that community goes a very, very long way back. Um, right back to the AD cycle days, to the OS2 days, and, and before. And we've been building products for Xeos, for AIX, and IBM Linux platforms for, for decades, actually. Uh, we've endorsed each other's products. We appear in the IBM Partner Software Products website. We've co-presented on a range of topics. And as a vendor in that space, we've technology that works on ZOS, connects to ZOS, and supports a you know a huge variety of use cases around extending the value of what the mainframe brings to the uh, the world of commerce. So uh, if if you're not going to be here to tell people how to get off the mainframe, so what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, let me just uh, underscore our our commitment to the mainframe as a as an enterprise server of choice for our customers. I mean, we're very active in the share community. We're a plat platinum partner, have been for a few years. So we're ple pleased to be here. I'm also very pleased to be here on on the, on this uh, podcast as well. But no, we we try to respond to our customers. Our customers are, you know, very heart of what we do as an organization. And what they're looking to achieve more and more these days, especially on, in the digital era, is to modernize how IT operates, how IT supports the business. And of course, that's changing, changing at a, a significant pace, an unprecedented level of change uh, more and more nowadays in the digital era. So many organizations are looking to be more nimble in their approach and looking at things like DevOps. They're looking at perhaps how the cloud can help them. Mm -hmm. And like IBM, we're supporting our customers who are looking to do things new and different, just as much as those who are simply looking to be better at how they already do things. So, you know, it revolves around the concept of what's fit for purpose. What's the right thing for the business? Where's the right technology to do the right task for what the business is trying to do, both today and tomorrow? But you talk about modernization, and, and that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. But uh, modernization, doesn't that mean to do everything in Java? Uh, well, some might believe that. Uh, one of the very interesting things about modernization is uh, if you look at uh, statistics about throwing things away that work perfectly well and replacing it with something that's new and shiny that 
promises to do something better. Um, but the jury's still out on whether that's a very sensible thing to do. In fact, the risks and the costs involved, there are independent studies, I'm sure that we've all read, that suggest that the, the, the failure rates of these large-scale IT projects are you know, eye-wateringly high, 71% reported by the, the Standish Group, I think, in their last report. It'd be interesting to see if that number's gone in any direction when they release the update to their report early next year. <laughs> but, you know, rip and replace projects typically end up in some kind of significant delay, significant cost overrun, mm -hmm. or just outright failure. So modernization means to us, as far as we're concerned, and to some of our more pragmatic customers, how do we take what we already have, how do we take what already works today, that's running our business today, and then transform that in a appropriate step-by-step -step way to meet the needs of the business today and obviously into the future. And of course, with so much change happening around, that ongoing transformational activity is, is a significant part of what they're doing in IT. Yeah, and, and so the, the thing that I'm always kind of fighting with is, is the belief by a lot of businesses that I have to make that change and, and convincing them that COBOL isn't evil or old mm. um, is always kind of... Uh, a big part of the job, right? Well, I mean, I have to say that the you know the debate about which is the the, the best application development language to use in any given scenario, it, it becomes quite uh, you know almost semi-religious in, in one aspect. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. very very quickly depending on who you're speaking to. So I think you know before we talk about the uh, why we see COBOL as a very very sensible approach going forward as part of that digital transformation. Um, I mean, I do want to take my hat off to Java as well, because obviously it serves a lot of very, very important purposes very well, especially on the systems of engagement side of the business. Uh, and, and Java does many, many things um, fabulously well. And you can see why it's a smart choice for application development investments for, you know, for many systems. But that's typically at the front end of the house. It's typically not going to effectively uh, displace... Uh, what COBOL has been able to achieve uh, right up to, to this era. And, it's, and of course, we're going back now 60 years. So I'll, I'll come on to why I'm excited about COBOL's anniversary um, <laughs> shortly. But, I mean, Java, to be absolutely fair, works very well. But if, it, if all you've got is a really, really good system of engagement and your system of record is just crumbling around your ears because you've made a, a bad technology decision and you've replaced a working system with one that's uh, uh, less reliable, you know, you've got to have both ends of that connection to be absolutely on their A game. Otherwise, really, you've got nothing. So are you, are you saying that you think that Java is great for the front end and, and COBOL is, is the language for the back end? COBOL remains uh, absolutely rock solid as a back end language choice because of some of the things it inherently does by design and does very, very well and is peerless. Uh, by comparison with Java or any other language come to that. Um, you know, and I'd like, if I may, to, to talk about some of those key attributes of COBOL. I think you know, if, we, if we project forward into the future and ask ourselves, will COBOL still be fit for purpose as a business language in the future? Um, we have to ask ourselves, well, how did it get as far as it got today mm -hmm. to retain that sort of, you know, fairly lofty status as, as you know, the bomb-proof language of choice for the business. Um, 
you know, 60 years after someone, someone came up with the idea. So, I mean, there are a few key characteristics to COBOL, um, but, I mean, the short answer is absolutely COBOL is the back-end language of choice. And for, you know, almost all of our customers, uh, once the conversation is clear, once those attributes are clear, and, 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 and once it's very well understood exactly what the stark choices are of replacing that and what the risks are, um, most people make those simple and very pragmatic choices to take forward what's already working, what's already running the business, and to further improve it. So when, when you're faced with this, with this conversation, somebody says, well, you know, we've got this stuff running in COBOL, um, but we're thinking of, of turning it, into, you know, rewriting it in Java. What's kind of the, what's the message you give? How do, they, how do you show them that they've already got the right choice, they just need to do something um, to make it more modern? Well, I think there's a couple of aspects to that. I mean, the, the sensible thing uh, is not to start with explaining what the dangers are in moving to Java. Uh, that will become self-evident as a, as a byproduct of the conversation. Um, I don't think it's a necessarily a positive or sensible thing to do to talk about how bad the competition is to explain <laughs> how good you are. Right. Um, uh, so the first place to start of course is to remind or indeed invite the customer to try and quantify the inherent value of their existing COBOL investment and of course if 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 you can measure that either in revenue terms or you know in in some other sensible metric that means something to to the business that you're talking with um, and then say okay and how long have you had those systems because certainly they weren't conceived in 2018. <laughs> uh, there's a good chance they've been doing this for some time. So the business value is the business value this year times the number of years it's actually been operating. And then say, well, that's the business value. You know, and project forward the same number of years. That's the business value that you're risking by suggesting that you might move away. So that's the first point. I think the second point that's very, very important is that while... Uh, Microfocus and IBM and other vendors all understand how modern, how contemporary COBOL is and can be for uh, a customer. In many cases, the level of investment made in COBOL application development, tooling, or you know any aspect of that delivery model, uh, it's always worked and has been working quite comfortably for 20 or 30 years, even longer in some cases. Sometimes the temptation is that ongoing investment isn't quite so business critical so maybe there's been less investment on keeping that environment keeping that delivery model uh, as contemporary as it as it could be or as contemporary as other parts of the business have enjoyed in other investments mm -hmm. so you know we still talk to many COBOL shops who themselves are you know they rely on COBOL as a business language COBOL kicks TB2 JCL on the mainframe in many cases but are still using ISPF-based tooling. They still have a waterfall model. They still have a, a very isolated and separated, not even co-located team managing that business-critical functionality, but with very little connection to or integration with more modern approaches that are more perhaps efficient, more cost-efficient, but also um, productive in their nature. So our task is to educate the customer to 
actually to demonstrate what's possible today. And so, you know, at Share this week and in a number of the microfocus customer-facing sessions that we have globally, and of course, as is also done by the other vendors, in fairness, this is the kind of education to the practitioners and, and of course, to their paymasters and, and purchasing staff. You know, this is what can be possible. And the best way to do that, of course, is to talk about what the business is trying to achieve this year and next mm-hmm. and, and use this te- new technology as effectively the vehicle to achieve that more quickly, more cost-efficiently. So that's kind of the conversation we want to have. Someone will inevitably say, yeah, well, can't I just buy a package instead or can't I just rewrite <laughs> it instead? Well, the answer is yes, you can do that instead. But, you know, in, in fairness, Mr. Customer, let us illustrate to you what the... Uh, what the comparisons are in terms of the the investments that you'll need to make and the risks that you'll be carrying. And, you know, we're talking about Fortune 1000 companies here. They are risk-averse. They are highly competitive vertical sectors that they're playing in. Um, Now is not the time to bet the farm (laughs) on a technical change that, you know, that that might render you, well, losing market share or whatever reputational damage you might have. So... Actually, the conversation is quite straightforward, but it is a, it's a mind shift, and it's therefore a conversation that goes at the pace of the customer's understanding and, of course, the needs of their business. And it's very interesting, some of the points you just made, and while we're talking about modernization and COBOL and Java, coming out of school and seeing the turnover in our industry, you are seeing a lot of these students now coming out with Java skills. Um, you d- aren't hearing as much of that with around COBOL and COBOL courses being offered in colleges and universities. So what is Microfocus seeing in the industry um, to promote those type of skills and learning those type of skills? Yeah, well, there are a few threads to that. I mean, uh, and I think, and if you don't mind me coming back to it perhaps a little later on, there's, there's this issue of COBOL's perception, mm-hmm. which means it doesn't receive a, a great deal of trade press. There's not a lot of positive chatter on the market it's good to see when there is um but but for sure um java and and you know even more modern languages you know um javascript or python or whatever they they get more attention they are promoted more widely in academia um it's the stuff that the kids want to learn now what's uh i mean what's very important in this equation is to bring the the business the commercial sector into the mix. Now, any vendor of COBOL technology will talk about the necessity for you know people to be skilled in COBOL. That's I think that's that's a given. Um, someone who's learning computer science for the first time might not get told about that simply because they don't necessarily see it as an important part of their resume in the future. Um, so what's interesting is that there seems to be a sort of a, a lack of understanding, lack of appreciation of just how prevalent, just how ubiquitous COBOL still is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually the task of, you know, effectively the worldwide COBOL community to to remind itself and the customers who use COBOL that actually there is a, an important IT resourcing question um, actually for any language, for any, for any system mm-hmm. uh, that you need the right skills you need the right people to do that task both today and into the future now what i would also say about COBOL, though because of its longevity it's perhaps no surprise to to any of the listeners but it's certainly no surprise to me personally that this isn't a question that's taking place in 2019 this is a question that's been 
going on for, well, since COBOL was conceived, since COBOL came on the market, there were people who were you know, happily predicting its demise. And in fact, <laughs> in 1960, I've got it in the white paper that I've written. Um, it's an anonymous quote. I wish I knew who it was, but it said, I, I can confidently predict that COBOL will not last until the end of this decade. And that's a quote from 1960. <laughs> um, but it, it shows there's always, for any product that comes onto the market, there's always someone prepared to knock it sideways and try and displace it with something even newer. It's this sort of um, very human condition that we have where, where we're always drawn to the new and the shiny. And something that's already been done, Just it, it neither makes the news, nor is it seen as exciting as the, the next big thing. Um, so... I mean, I, I mentioned that I knew about this personally. Like I, uh, I mentioned to you before we came in, I, I'm the product of the Microfocus academic program. Uh, I joined Microfocus in, in the late 80s because I'd been to college uh, in, in the UK and I had learned COBOL uh, among uh, other languages in my computer science degree. Uh, and I'd done that because there was a COBOL compiler product and they had a provided by a vendor, a vendor by the name of Microfocus. <laughs> and they, you know, they had it on the syllabus because there were still organizations, local organizations to that college mm. that were still looking to recruit COBOL graduates. So that's the secret ingredient. That's where the dots get joined. If the local employer can reach out to the local employees with academia effectively as the sort of, you know, the bridging point, then, um, as we did in the mid-80s, and we continue to do with, with, I think it's over 400 colleges and universities worldwide. You know, that academic program, as I know, that you know, is run by other organizations. IBM has a fantastic one as well. That, that three-way agreement is how you resolve that, that question mark. But I would put it as a question mark rather than a, a crisis or, a, <laughs> or, you know, the, the sky is not falling. Falling, right. Yeah. Um, the, the sky will fall if you do nothing about it, but it is a, it's a C-level IT resourcing question. Um, and the only thing that makes COBOL different, I think, is in most cases, most core business systems that run you know, the big corporates today or, or the big government agencies or, or wherever it's running, they have comfortably outlived any realistic projection of their, their lifespan. And they've comfortably outlived, you know, anyone who was around to build the systems in the first place. So COBOL is having a skills question uh, before many other languages, simply because it came into ex ex existence before other languages. Um, but I rather think that, you know, in, in 20 years' time, we might be having a similar conversation <laughs> about other languages. Right. And that's if they last that long, of course. I was going to say, uh, you know, you think about it, uh, back when when we went to school, uh, there were you you learned a bunch of different languages, right? So, so um, you get to a point in your career where you know enough languages that you can, you know, it's just a matter of picking up the syntax, right? So, why do you think uh, COBOL has outlived a lot of those other languages? You know, my, my native language was APL. I think I've mentioned that on the show before, right? Which is an awesome language, and and um, and one that I I still think is really really cool. But it never took off as a business language, right? Right. So, what is it about COBOL that that makes it that 
that language that that everybody still uses here now four million years after its inception <laughs> is it four million i uh, <laughs> i lost count i must have um i think i mean we've looked at this i mean we spent a bit of time asking that question to our customers looking at the market partners and, and whoever had a you know a sensible comment about cobol practitioners mainly um and i we brought it down to kind of there are four main attributes i think and they all take their cue their, their, their genesis if you like was in the original design of the language so i mean i don't want this to become a history lesson but certainly there are certain aspects of COBOL and its intrinsic design that i think have been the cornerstone of why it's stuck it out better than anything else has as a business language so um i mean first of all um, and, um, and no one's going to win any prizes for saying this, but you know the B in COBOL stands for business. Mm. It was designed as a business language, and, mm. and it does things that the business needs that really no other language comes anywhere close to. So it's it's um, arithmetic accuracy, you know, thirty eight significant digit accuracy for for serious number crunching. You're doing foreign trades or whatever you. You actually, you need to, you know, you need to not round things up. You need to be accurate, um, and it does that better than anything else. Um, and the second, you know, probably the, 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 you know, the, the poster child kind of attribute of COBOL is how strongly it uh, it manages data. Not only at how it manages data in terms of the the file handling, the sorting the capabilities that are all built into the language, but also how strongly typed the language is in the first place. Um, COBOL has mercifully saved me from a, a number of terrible mistakes by the <laughs> compiler saying, now you don't want to move that field over there because <laughs> something really bad's going to happen. So, you know, COBOL does that in a way, you know, intrinsically by design that the, the other languages kind of overlooked, actually. They said, well, no, we'll find a, a more elegant way of doing it and, and we'll hope that the programmer will figure that out themselves. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's not business proof because right. it needs to be, uh, you know, it needs to deal with the person who has the least experience because you're cutting core business systems that must not fail. Right. Right. So that's the first one. Um, so the second one, uh, uh, and it's an, it's an interesting question, but it was again, it was in the design. And in fact, the original stipulation of the design is that we are not done here until not only have we built a COBOL compiler that runs on one mainframe environment, but also the same application will compile and execute exactly the same on another environment. So it's, it's portability that has enabled not only people to say, let's update where we are you know, we're taking a new version of the same machinery, you know, we're, we're upgrading our mainframe, and over time, there's that compatibility going forward. Mm -hmm. But also, as has been the case certainly more recently, where, you know, for example, in the IBM world, there are organizations that, that would love to have a mainframe in every single geography in which they reside. That isn't always a sensible or viable option for them. So they've used, you know, lower-end servers where, a replicant of the COBOL application logic has to work in country elsewhere. And that's, they've, they've decided that that needs to run on AIX or run on a Linux box or wherever else it needs to run. And COBOL's inherent portability allows it to be picked up and, and moved unchanged uh, and run on another platform successfully. Now, does it have the same resilience as the mainframe? Well, you know, of course not. But uh, for fit-for-purpose decision reasons 
that might be the right approach. So Cobalt's portability has been guaranteed by A, its design, but B, the work that, that, that IBM and Microfocus and other vendors have put into making sure that when a customer comes to ask us a question, will it work on XYZ, the answer is already yes. So I mean, I th we stopped counting. We did a study about 10 years ago, I think it was, to count up the number of platforms that Cobol exists on. And we did that because we heard the story about Java being the right <laughs> once run anywhere mm -hmm. language. And I thought, well, that's it's an interesting and lofty claim. And we looked at where Cobol existed. And, and you know, I think... Um, it, it, the the results were quite illuminating just how ubiquitous COBOL was versus Java, at least at the time. And we, we stopped counting at 500 platforms simply because it was becoming quite a tedious exercise for me to go through. So it's north of 500 platforms over time, including things that, of course, we've all since forgotten that you know are no longer available for sale. And, you know, there, were some, there were some very, very splendid environments that I was involved porting COBOL compilers to at the time. And you know that are no longer available on the open market, but uh, I, I certainly certainly remember the projects quite well. You know, NT on Deck Alpha, for example, springs the, to mind as uh, was quite an interesting say, one. You could get a COBOL compiler for Apple too. Uh, I mean, COBOL. I mean, there's some smart people who build this stuff. I mean, the, the guys in, uh, the guys in the IBM labs and the guys at Microfocus. These are these are rocket scientists. They 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 know how to port COBOL anywhere. And and you know, frankly, if you need it on an enterprise platform then the answer is yes that was actually the the core business of microfocus from its inception making COBOL available wherever it needed to be um so that's two i mean dare i give you three and four <laughs> <laughs> um well the third one i think is obvious to everybody even if you've looked at COBOL only once or twice in your entire professional career and that's the fact that it's readable mm -hmm. uh it's readability and it was defined as such it should be uh it, and again part back to the design it was defined as I'm, I'm going to read this for you it should be simple english or pseudo english and avoid symbolism as far as possible uh and of course for anyone who doesn't know cobol is exactly that you know a, a display is a display an ad is an ad you, you know where you stand quite quickly in fact when we train our sales rookies we put them through a cobol application development class is one of the first things we do with them we get them to cut some code mm -hmm. and we get them to read some code back and 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 they'll go oh yeah okay well that makes sense and of course you couldn't you couldn't do that if you were training them c or something else uh and it's amazing how many other um commercially successful languages have just ignored that concept uh it's only really things like you know, javascript more latterly where they've thought about trying to simplify the syntax so it's more readily readable. No surprise, actually, Stanford University now use JavaScript as their entry-level technology <laughs> in their, in their tra training classes instead of Java because it's just easier to get. It's easier to you know, start on. Um, so that's kind of the fourth one. Uh, sorry, the third one. Uh, and then the fourth one is perhaps the clincher for why it's I mean, that's great about why it was designed and, and successful at the time and for the first 10 years with very little competition. It, it, you know, it did well. But how has it stuck it out 60 years? I mean, that's a very long time ago, isn't it? So the fourth one is, I think, the clincher, and that's that what we're calling adaptability. And again, in the spec, right back then, someone realized uh, in a sort of a call forward into time to say, we need to be agile 
about how we're thinking about this. They said that uh, the language must be open-ended and capable of accepting change. Almost sort of admitting that they wouldn't get it right first time. <laughs> and of course, you look at the difference between COBOL 60 as a standard and, and ANSI 68 as a standard. I mean, of course, they, they did a heck of a lot of work to improve the standard over the years and, and the iterations thereafter. But it has been adaptable. And when you think about it, that's absolutely crucial because when COBOL was built, nothing else had been built at the time. So right. COBOL predates even the mainframe. It right. predates kicks. It predates uh, relational databases. It predates the internet. It predates object orientation. You know, it predates practically everything that we take for granted in IT nowadays. So it's had to adapt in order to support or integrate with or provide bolt-ons to, you know, to connect to all of those other technologies right. and has done so a, because the market demanded that, you know, well, my core business system now needs to do this as well. Right. How are you going to help me? Uh, but also that the vendors realize that, you know, for this language to actually be lucrative and successful over time, it needs to be ahead of the game, ahead of the market in terms of what the market's looking to do with it. Uh, and in fact, if you look at COBOL in 2019, it's it's a very far cry in terms of some of what you can do, both with the syntax, but also with the 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 IDE technology that supports the, the the average developer. So that's the investments that you know both IBM and Microfocus have been making, and some of the other vendors too, of course. And I think that's kind of all those four kind of elements. I think they go into the secret sauce. That's what COBOL does uniquely and more powerfully than any other language. Remember, there are thousands of choices on the market, so you know it must be doing something pretty special. Right. And I think that's what it did. So we're, we're actually coming to the bottom of the hour here. Uh, but, uh, okay, we get it. COBOL isn't, isn't old anymore, and it's still new, and it's, it's cool, and it's hung around while others haven't, right? Mm. But um, where, why do you want to talk about it now? What's the big deal now? Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, I finally got an invite onto Terminal Talk, um, but um, but no, but seriously, it's the anniversary year. Uh, at some point in September 1959, the records are a little sketchy, actually. Um, it's funny they didn't keep adequate uh, electronic records back in those days. Um, but someone said, "I know, let's call it COBOL." The the committee agreed. The Codasil committee that was that was brought together to devise this new language to support. Uh, commercial growth post-war 60 years later here we are and I think it's it's sensible and I think it helps us tell the story to the organizations who still use it but may themselves have question marks over its future it helps us I think remind ourselves of its enduring value but also project forward to say well you know in 2079 What's going to be running the world's biggest organizations? And of course, you know, no one could even speculate. But should we be looking to throw away what's already there at the moment? I don't think so. So, I mean, it's a it's a point of celebration. I should have brought some cake. Um, <laughs> but m more importantly than that, I think it's a it's a healthy time to remind ourselves and our customers, and in fact, those who may not yet understand the value of COBOL, exactly why it's remained so viable for so long and there's you know absolutely no reason why that can't carry on well into the future so we, we at microfocus we thought well that's a great idea so we put a a, a few um 
activities together and in, in September we'll we'll effectively celebrate that milestone and we'll 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 do a little bit of press work and we'll do some public shows and we'll do a, a webinar um, which we're using IBM Systems Magazine to help us with and we'll be promoting COBOL's value from you know from now forward rather than looking too far backwards um, and one of the things I've, I've caught up with the guys at uh, that IBM and CompuWare this morning, they they're very uh, keen to you know to be part of that celebration, and we'll probably put something together for the Fort Worth Share Show. Um, so I expect to be talking about COBOL sixty, which is <laughs> which the, the 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 symbolism is supposed to be for the anniversary, but of course it's also the name of the standard that came out afterwards. Oh, so I think we'll be talking about this for a good twelve months to to reach as many people in the world who still rely on COBOL every day. And of course, that's most of us. Right. That's cool. That's cool. And can you, uh, this opportunity to, to point to white papers or, or uh, oh, your, it, your it socials, sure is. Um, whatever? Yeah, I won't turn up that uh, opportunity. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we'll be launching a landing page on, on the day. It's the 10th of September. We're going to have the webinar with IBM Systems Magazine. On the 10th, uh, on the 10th of September, you can go to microfocus.com slash COBOL 60 and all of the links will be there. There'll be a white paper and a, and a number of other assets and, and of course we'll be delighted to point to this podcast on the day as well to uh, give some extra love to Terminal Talk and you know and, and and with that in mind thanks very much for having us. Well, well thank you Derek this has yeah. been great. Thank you very much I think you bring a great message about COBOL and I think it does have to reach more of that new generation of the mainframe coming in. Yeah and I think we all have a responsibility there to tell that story so you know this podcast and all of the other things that we're all doing collectively I think you know that's exactly the right thing to do so COBOL rocks and uh, thanks very much guys. Thanks. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.